Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Bullseye Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be covering current affairs, pop culture topics, and trending technology news. Periodically, I'll be meeting with people to discuss their personal stories of hardship and success. For any topics that we cover or any guests that we have on our show, you'll find the bios and any other resources available. I'll make sure that they're posted with the podcast recording so that you can make use of them. Today's story is with Nima Attar. We're going to go over his personal story and we're going to discuss how he was able to rise to nearly a million dollars in personal income at the age of 27. Can't wait to share this story with you and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share. I can't grow this podcast without you and your support. Thank you so much. Nima Attar, thank you so much for joining me today. We've had the luxury of meeting each other this past year, and this is what inspired this episode today, was to have a conversation with you because we've connected on a couple different occasions, and I've really enjoyed our conversations, getting to know you personally and professionally. You're all the way over in Vancouver, so we're a few hours apart. I appreciate you taking the time on a Friday morning to have a conversation with me. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you as well, and I'm excited for this. You always talk to people about, oh, we should do this together, we should do that. And usually falls off and no one does anything because no one takes the initiative. So I appreciate you reaching out and uh, making this happen. I find that guys are particularly bad at that. We often will say, yeah, let's get together. We'll have a chat, a beer or whatever. And then we just never do. But women, they're like, let's hang out together. And then tomorrow they're best friends going on shopping excursions. And I don't know what the difference is, but. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl thing. I think it's just a human thing. I think humans just don't like to commit to stuff. But we like to have the option of doing it. So we yeah. say we should do this just so we have the option to doing it if we really choose to. But we don't like to commit to it in case we actually decide not to do it. Yeah. But, but what I've learned to do is, for example, I saw a friend of mine at the gym the other day. And he's very successful in business as well. So we were wanting to catch up and like see what we we're doing because we hadn't really connected for a while. Yeah. And we had seen each other at the gym before. Same thing. Hey, we should do this. And then we just nothing happened. This time when I saw him at the gym, I'm like, you know what? Let's just book it in the calendar right now. And then I booked it in, sent him a calendar invite. So That's 100% something that I've been learning from a business perspective. If you want to see somebody, you want to do something with somebody, get it in the calendar. In the next two weeks, I think the, there was a statement that somebody told me that if you were to look at your calendar right now and open it up two to three weeks from now, you don't have anything in there. Yeah. Put me in there. Exactly. Work I mean, around with that. us. Same thing happened with us, you know, like, you mentioned it, we immediately scheduled like a phone call and then made it happen that way. So I think yeah. that's the key lesson there is to you use- and I are in the same wavelength. Yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. A big part of this podcast, a bullseye is part of this, I guess you could say, or a big part of this is talking about failures, talking about successes. And that could be pretty vague or can, we can go into great detail. What I like about you is you're 27 correct me if I'm wrong. You're, yeah, you're, you're still 27, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm born in, I always use the year now, yeah. but I'm born in uh, 1994. Okay. So, so we're, I, I just turned 27 a few months ago. Great. So I have all year now for me to, to, to call you 27. You have tremendous success, but it's not out of nowhere. It's taking you trials and tribulations. You've had failures and you've had many successes to get to a big success. So why don't you tell me a little bit about life in terms of like my life growing up in Iran, honestly, it was good. He's dad owned the business, but obviously when you have so many kids and so many mouths to feed, it's always going to be a little bit of a struggle in that sense. So yeah. my dad was, was someone who spent a lot of time studying. He disciplined himself. He told me stories of like, he would be reading his school books on the sidewalks while other kids were playing. 
And his dad would be like, oh, don't read so much. You're going to become stupid. But it was like, that, that was like the mentality back then where it's all oh, you're supposed to work and like studying and knowledge and this stuff is not that useful. That was kind of narrative back then. Right. But I guess th- that was the right decision because he ended up having really great grades. He went to the capital city with a scholarship to study and, and he basically made himself a great success. And by doing that, he was able to employ all his brothers and sisters that wanted to work with him. Even on my mom's side, there were six brothers and sisters, and a lot of them worked for my dad at some point. So that was a great example for me as well, because seeing how somebody's hard work helps so many people close to them and changes so many lives. And my dad did well financially. Thankfully, when I was born, he was already in a good position. He hadn't, he was still doing the stage of working hard and building so I remember like he would leave the house at like 7 a.m., 8 a.m. to go to the office. He would come back at 12, 11 p.m., 11 p.m., 12 a.m. And I saw that work ethic and it's, and he would come home and my mom would obviously bicker with him about, oh, why are you working so much? You're not seeing the kids as much. <laughs> so I saw all that dynamic, which was yeah. really good learning experience for me because it showed that hard work does pay off. I think sometimes some kids who are born into a wealthy family who didn't see that wealth be built, maybe they take, they, they don't value it as much. Yeah. Like seeing what my dad had to go through, seeing what our family had to go through, me not being able to spend as much time with my dad as maybe other kids could, or seeing the fighting between my parents because of all his work schedule. It showed me what hard work pays off and it's not going to be easy. So that kind of helped me when I started my business life because I didn't come into it expecting it was going to be easy. I didn't come into it thinking I was going to work a normal nine to five and make it. I already knew that. And I feel like you're, I feel like even your soccer story. So you have glim, you have glimpses of life in Iran and that was the five, six, seven, eight, and then yeah. you moved to Canada. So you have glimpses of things. And I, and I know you're one of your, one of your. And I guess I'll, I'll share this book because I think it's relative to other things that I'm going to say. Sorry for cutting you okay, off. No, go. But this is the part that I like, cause I was speaking about like my dad and like he's upbringing a little bit, but for me, I think one of my biggest advantages was that. I was born into a family environment where my cousins and, and my older sister were all three to four years older than me. Yeah. And when you have that age difference, you can't really, like, you don't, the kids don't really tell. Like when you're four and they're like eight, they don't really look at you as a four-year. They're like, okay, if you want to play, you got to keep up with us kind of thing. Whereas if the age discrepancy is like 10 years, now they're like really, and I remember I used to cry all the time when I used to like lose soccer games to my cousins. I would just sit there and cry and I would be like, baby you a little bit. So yeah. one of my advantages, because I was so much younger than everyone else, I had to grow up a lot faster to be able to play with them and keep up with them. And maybe that's where a lot of my competitiveness comes from because I don't know why I'm such a competitive person. But I think one of the reasons I loved soccer so much was because of the competitive aspect of it. And just because I'm so competitive, I was like, I have to become the best at it now that I've decided that I'm going to do it. No one's leaving until we play again. Until I beat you. Literally. No, I had this. So like people were just like, like they just knew that if we beat him, we're not leaving until he gets something out of it. Right. So, so, so Nemo, that, growing up, you were known as the kid in your family that just wouldn't stop until you succeeded, until you I was very persistent. scored that goal or... Yeah, beat him on a deke or like, whatever. The smallest things like we had like birthday parties, like wanting to get to the birthday presents fast. Like I was so persistent of like opening up because we would have like uh, my mom and dad because we had such a big family. So our birthdays, and when I say our, my sister was born in August, I was born in May, but they would bring our birthdays together and it would be a whole family reunion. 
So the party would go on for like hours. And then obviously when you're a kid, you just want to open your presents and play with your toys. And there was a lot of presents. I would like just get on and cry to my mom. Like we need to open these presents. I just wouldn't give up till they opened the present. So I definitely have a persistent streak in my life for sure. That's good. How many siblings do you have? I have an older sister and a little sister. So it's three of us. You're right in the middle. Is, right. it a, is it a big age gap or just a few years each? Um, my older sister is born in 1990. I'm 94. So four years there. And my little sister was born in 2005. So there's a big gap. Big gap. All right. Between me and my little sister and my older sister and my little sister. So is your little, does your, do you feel like your little sister is always the one who's trying to catch up and always? Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. No, because just because like when I think the age difference is that much, I think you realize and you have empathy for that age difference. So we just viewed her as like the baby of the family and was accommodating in that sense. And I think at the same yeah. time, she also didn't compare herself to us because of how much older we were. And she also, I, she's also born in Canada because you would have moved here yes. in 2002. Yeah. So she would have been yeah, three she years was later. Born, she was born in 2005, exactly. Yeah, great. Okay, okay, I get that. So it's also a different lifestyle for her a little bit because your family picked up, moved here to Canada. It's a different lifestyle. Sure, they have the same values and they have the same yeah. culture. Everything comes over, but she was born here and life's going to be a little different for her. Of course, yeah, yeah, definitely her life is because you got to imagine like, with me and my older sister, we grew up with a lot of people around us almost all the time. Yeah, and all your family. Whereas with her here, although we had a lot of family friends, we didn't, we don't have a lot of our family that came with us, you know? And you're a Persian background. Yes. Big on family, big on gatherings. And so that could be impacting for your little sister yeah. down the road where she doesn't get the, the same kind of family. And I mean, we still had that with family friends here, but it was not at the scale as it was yeah, yeah. at home, obviously. Yeah. So five, six, seven, eight, you're doing this whole soccer thing and you're driven and you're, and what other things do you remember of your later years in Iran? In, like later years, like in terms of like when I was, before I came to Canada, because we did, before, just we obviously before, went yeah. back to Iran for vacation, like yeah. summers and everything. It wasn't like we came here and never went back. But I still have memories of that, but what is it specifically that you're wondering about? So maybe I can. So eight years old, you would have still, you would have had, obviously you would have been in uh, probably grade three or four. So um, when I came to Canada, I came to Canada in the summer, right before I went to grade three. So right. I think June, 2002. And then in yep. September, I went to grade three in Canada. Okay. So what was like, what was life like coming to Vancouver in grade three? And I guess one thing that was extremely different was the school system was completely different than it was in Iran. I think most immigrants will agree to this. The discipline in schools in other countries is significantly higher than the discipline in schools in Canada, at least from my experience. Yeah. So, so in Iran, I remember grade one and two, it was a very disciplined, structured kind of thing. We were learning a lot of more higher level things earlier on. Mm -hmm. So when I came here, I was way ahead on math and stuff because yeah. all, we were already doing like grade, almost grade five math in grade two. That's so, interesting. So I want to put a pin in the math conversation because I think that's eventually going to end up leading somewhere. But you came here from Iran and you were already six months, year and a half ahead in, in education because of the strictness and the, 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 the dedication. Strictly because like language, obviously I was much, I was behind because I didn't know any English, but right. in terms of like mathematics, like that's a kind of universal language. It was soccer that helped me do that. Yeah. Was, I think my academic failures began like later on, like in grade yeah. four or five. So this is actually what happened. So I was a good student in Iran, obviously, because the discipline was so strict and everything, but it wasn't the best experience school there. 
because the teachers were also like disciplined to the point that is a little bit too much. Yeah. And also, and also like the particular teacher that, I don't know, the teachers that I had were uniquely crazy, I think. Like, seriously, like I remember like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even joking with you. Like, I remember like in grade two, there would be like trucks, trucks that carry rice that would go like behind the school and you could see it out of the window. Like this particular teacher was so psychotic where she was like, Hey, everyone look out the window. You see with the bags going in them. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, what about it? She's what's in those bags. And we're like, no, like kids that don't study and get good grades. <laughs> wow. I, I could, I literally wouldn't walk past trucks. Like when I saw them in the middle of the street, I was like, cause I'm like, I don't know how good my grades are supposed to be. Like what that? <laughs> I might end up I, in the back of one of those. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But like, it's funny now, but like, you understand back then it was such a like, Trauma. honestly, like it was yeah. a very anxious filled like environment. So yeah. I used to remember, I used to say, I wouldn't get hit because if they did, my parents would ruin the school. Yeah. But there was seriously, but, yeah. there, I, but there was kids who didn't have that same background, like in terms of like support from their parents or parents who were really that involved. Yeah. I remember like the teacher would hit like some of the kids and stuff. And I used to be sitting there. I can't wait to grow up and get revenge. That was my thing. I was like, I, I can't believe this is happening to these kids. And I felt so bad for them. And I felt powerless at the time. And I just probably like if a therapist is listening to this, they probably can attain some things to that. <laughs> but you do, but so that was very different. That was a huge shock. Cause I came here. I remember I was in English, like in ESL. And like the teacher came to check something that I was doing on my work and her nail scraped my hand a little bit. And she was so apologetic. Like, I'm so sorry. Is your hand okay? And I'm looking at her, I'm like, I'm sorry for your nail almost breaking on my hand. Like, this is the dynamic. <laughs> my fault, I'm sorry. So when I realized the dynamic is completely different, where like the student has the power over the teacher kind of thing, that's when my grades just went tank because I started becoming a class clown. I mean, I can get away with anything. So yep. that, that, was a, that was the biggest, I think, shock in that sense. But soccer was the thing that really helped me get involved with like the kids and because again, sports is another universal language. So I just yeah. saw ball in the field and I went and played with them. And then you just learn how to speak English with just being around kids and not caring about what you say. Yeah. Did you find that you were like light years ahead in soccer skill? I, I should say this in, in the right way because I don't want to make it sound cocky. Or anything because here's the thing. In Iran, the number one sport is soccer. Everyone right. plays soccer. Right. Just like how in Canada, at least back then, everyone played hockey kind of thing. Yeah. So... Obviously, the, 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 the average kid on the street who plays soccer in Iran is much higher level than the average kid who plays on the playground at recess here. Yeah. So in that sense, I was miles ahead. But then when you got to competitive soccer and other kids, I was still very good technically compared to other. There was a lot of other kids who were really good at soccer too around my age who were playing since they were very young as well, just like I was. But like it. If you're talking about who like dominated at lunch break, of course me, because most <laughs> the other kids were just playing for fun to kick around. And I'm coming in this. Like, and Nima like, doesn't oh, play for fun. I don't play for Nima fun. Plays for like, win. No, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> like we laugh. Literally, like I was not messing around. Like I would tackle kids to the ground and they'd be like, what? The? They wouldn't let me play with It's them. just lunchtime, Nima. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I love that though. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I don't know. Back then, it might have been a bad thing because most of the kids like ran away from me when I came. Maybe, up. maybe. <laughs> That's funny though. That's a good trait to have to be competitive and to care about your sport and to want to integrate in. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I like that story. What was high school like for you? I think I'll just give you a breakdown of how my school years were because I think that'll lead to what my high school was as well. So sure. in grade four, I made a joking class and everyone laughed. 
And that was what set me off to become a class clown. Cause I'm like, wait, this is how I can get the attention that I've been wanting. So that's when, so I started becoming a class clown in grade four. Didn't really enjoy academics that much anyways. When you're the class clown, you get kicked out of class all the time. So you're not so much, seriously. So you're not really sitting in class and learning as much. So that's what set it off. And then I don't want this to sound bad, but, but I think ever since I was a kid, I do have a little bit of an angry, like tyrant kind of problem as well yeah so i remember like at some point like in grade five and stuff over the smallest thing i got into a fight with some of the other kids in school who were you know my friends and that kind of created a divide between me and the other kids i became this kind of like lone wolf almost where like i got along with everyone like as an acquaintance but it was difficult for me to get really close to people and make really like solid friendships because of all the insecurities that i had and i had a lot of anxiety problems that i think probably stem back to like when I was much younger, but I, but, or maybe I'm just more like genetically imposed to anxiety or something, but maybe, yeah. I had a lot of anxiety where I would constantly be thinking that something's going to happen to my mom or to my family, or I'm going to get kidnapped. I'm very irrational. There was no reason for me to have the anxieties. It wasn't like there was any abuse happening anywhere. Yeah. Of course my parents were fighting just like any immigrant family would have problems. Like that stuff was happening, but it wasn't anything to make me feel that way. But I, because maybe I was already a little bit on the side of the more anxious people or ge- maybe genetically, those things just triggered and I made it way worse. So what you that also, I, I, you yeah. also moved to Canada, right? Like it's a brand new country. You're only there yeah. for a couple of years. People don't know you because you can't speak English and yeah. you're like, you're trying to fit in. You're trying to just be, and yeah. you're, you don't sometimes feel like you fit in and then you become a, a class clown, which fits yeah. you in. Right. And I'll say this too, like, even though my dad did very well financially, he's also very intelligent when it comes to his money. So he doesn't like splurge on things. And even he's the type of guy who's like, why would I buy a nice car when I can buy two houses? Like, for example. Yeah. Rich that's dad, a, poor dad. Which, which is a very good mentality. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's, that's why, not liabilities. Exactly. And that's why he's had the success <laughs> that he had. But here was the repercussion of that. So when we come to Canada, he bought this crappy van. Because obviously he wants, he doesn't want to spend money on a car, especially coming to a country new and everything. Right. So now I'm getting driven to school in this crappy van and all the other kids are looking at this and they're like, oh, he must be poor or something. So they start making fun of me about like how I'm homeless and I live in a box. And even though I don't speak English that well, when kids are making fun of of you, yeah. And here's what happened in my head. I'm not thinking, oh, they think this because they see the van. I'm thinking they think this because I'm Iranian. And because on the news, it shows Iran as this country that's, there's this image that the Western civilization kind of portrays of what the Middle East looks like. Developed this insecurity that they think this because I'm Persian. So then this developed an insecurity for me where I had, where I thought I have to show off about how much money my dad has to like overcome what they already might think of me. And all these insecurities and Mm -hmm. stuff just made me, made me not such a fun person to maybe hang around with as much. So that's why it was hard for me to like, build genuine relationships and friendships and all that. Got it. That's a, honestly, that's a real struggle. And I totally appreciate where you're coming from. And that probably will drive a lot of the next few years and some of the difficulties that you might've had in high school or whatever. So thank you for putting some context onto that because I think it's going to make things a little bit more clear. Yeah. Because I never want to make it sound like, Oh, I was this kid that got bullied because the honest truth is I brought it on myself because of my own insecurities like i was never the guy that was like getting bullied by kids and just sitting there old i was the kid who like would go back at them escalate the issue 100 times create a fight out of it 
seriously and like and then just like walk away like with the disaster that i've created it reminds me of that meme with the girl that has the house on fire the little white girl somebody would light a match somebody would just light a match oh like i'm gonna tease you go Nima. get gasoline and i'm gonna tease Nima, and that match would ignite into this nuclear bomb that goes off and everyone gets involved now. so i really never I, I i never look back on any of the kids that i grew up with in a bad eye i don't think any of them did anything to like purposely hurt me or no because they're 10 years old they're, they're kids as well right? yeah, yeah. Trying, like we're in a freaking jungle and i was i was the one that would ignite the, the whole flame maybe i didn't always start it but i was the one that escalated so i take responsibility for that but that kind of led me into being a little bit of a loner especially in high school and everything i poured all those issues into my soccer so i became like a workaholic yeah because that was my escape got it and then what ended up happening is in a lot of my in some of the soccer teams I played in, now I would have issues with maybe the coach sometimes right. or the other players and stuff. So then the anxiety wouldn't even leave me in soccer. So it became like- It starts a, to ruin soccer for you because then it becomes yes, no longer fun yeah. anymore because- Honestly speaking, when I was like 13 and 12, I would be reading a lot of books on sports psychology because I got so anxious and nervous yeah. when I would go play my games and it would affect my way of playing. Yeah. And then it was just- And your relationships very, with the players and- It would have been extremely tough- time in my life like from the until i was like 18 19 there was a lot of struggle because it was like i, I would say maybe until i was 16 17 and then once i moved to west vancouver i had an opportunity to redo my image and like right. get away get away from like who i had built myself to be and the brand that i had so then i just became this kid who like okay just minds my own business does my own thing so that kind of helped that you had helped a reset a you had a reset in I consciously thought about it because yeah, I, I was going to this new school and I'm like, you know what? I really screwed up here because like most of the kids find me annoying. They don't like me. I'm not like, I'm not really, I didn't build a good brand for myself up to this point. Yeah. Now I have a chance to redo it. Let me learn from the mistakes that I made. Yeah. And let me, and I, and I took responsibility for a lot of it even back then. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go into this different. And I just went into it. I just decided to mind my own business and do my own thing. I just be friendly with everyone. Again, That's I didn't smart. become close to anyone. Yeah. I didn't become like a social butterfly in that sense. I didn't go to a lot of parties, but I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to mind my own business, be a nice person to them, and they'll be nice to me, and we'll just leave it at that. And did it work out according to plan? Yeah. When I See, if I were to say it worked out, that would mean that I totally got the full high school experience, went to parties, did that. So I wouldn't say it worked out, but it just it reduced the problem because right. before I, before I moved, by the time I was 14, I had major depression. Some people say they're depressed and it's like, they're talking about how they're sad. When I'm talking about depression, I'm saying you sit in a room, doesn't matter what the room is, whether it's your family members, friends or whatever, you feel like you're in a bubble and you feel like you're almost like looking at life from like a third person eye with no emotional things happen. Like you don't engage emotionally with anyone or any conversation. You're just, I don't know how to describe it, but it's my best description from my memory. It's like, you're almost in a bubble of your own and you don't feel much. Right. It's not even that, it's not even that you feel sadness. You just don't feel any, like you just turn off all the. Like emotionally complete, disconnected from complete, family, complete. friends, everything around you. It's just, complete. you feel sunk alone. 
completely. And now imagine you're already someone who's prone to anxiety. Yeah. Now I got anxiety because of this. Cause I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? So now you build up more anxiety. About now being... my anxiety escalates to the point where it's like, am I going to kill myself? Like what is going on? Cause I, cause you don't understand what's going on. Did you, ever, a... did you ever have fleeting thoughts of suicide during those times? Like 14, oh, 15, 16? I never thought about killing myself. I was afraid of what if I get to the point where I, where I think of, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You're afraid so, of, you're afraid of rock bottom and then further. It was never like, Oh, maybe I should end it. There was, that thought never went through my head. It was more like, Oh my God, what if this keeps getting so bad? End up like uncontrollably just doing something stupid. You know what I mean? Like it was more yeah. like the fear of what if this gets even worse than it already? Cause I just didn't know like where the bottom was. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was already rock bottom, but I just didn't know if there was another pit below this. Cause I'm like, right. Cause in my head, I'm like, there is another stage to this because I know people who have, I don't know people, but you hear of people right. who committed suicide because of depression. So I'm like, there's another level. Like if we're talking about like diseases, right? Like you have like stage one cancer stage. I'm like, maybe I'm in stage two. Now I'm afraid of getting to stage three and four. That's no, I get that. And that's good. And I'm happy to hear that you haven't had any fleeting thoughts or any thoughts of, of suicide at all. It's just, and I'm happy to hear that you are mindful and aware enough to acknowledge and recognize what you were going through. And even though it was a big struggle, by the time 16 came around, you were smart enough to be able to see that you had a clean slate available to you and you took advantage of it. And if you want, I can share what I, what I did to overcome it because I think that's that was the my- bubble. The bubble yeah. when you were like looking at yourself third person and felt like you were all those yeah, things. I was just disconnected. And I'm going to, and I'm sharing this because I want other people who might be in a similar situation to maybe see how they can apply this to their life if possible. Yeah. So the thing with me was I was very good at acknowledging that there was a problem. Like some people, I know people who don't go to a doctor appointment because they're afraid that they might be diagnosed with something. Right. I was the type of person I'm like, I want to get diagnosed as soon as possible so I can fix it. Yeah. So for me, I acknowledge that I haven't, that there's a problem here. Like I knew there was an issue. This is not normal. This is not okay. And once I acknowledged that, then I went to work. Like I said, even before this, I would like, even before it got to this level, I would read books on sports psychology to solve my problem of nervousness when I played sports. So I was already very open to seeing how I could fix the problem. And I was willing to fix it at whatever cost. My older uh, cousin, she's a medical doctor now. Even back then she was a medical doctor, but she had her degrees in Iran and had to convert. And she was someone who was like, I think when I was born, she was already uh, like 12 or 13. So she was like a big sister to me since I was, and I trusted her. What I started doing was I would go to her and talk to her. And I would like legitimately like ball out, cry, tell her all my fear, just put it all on the table because she was someone that I trusted. I didn't want to take my problems to my parents because I felt like they already have their own stuff that they're dealing with. So I didn't want to add to it. So, but I was like, I can, you know, trust her and I can talk to her. One thing that I did was I opened up to someone that I trust and she was very willing to listen and be there and help me. Then the next step was I, I told my mom, hey, like I'm having like a lot of anxiety. I'm having a lot of nervousness. Can you like take me to someone that I can talk to? So then she took me to this therapist. And in that first session, and again, I'm not going to obviously name anyone because I don't want to, but it's so crazy because imagine as a 14 year old, I'm going to this session and I just want to know how can I control my anxiety? And her first recommendation is why don't you take drugs? And not like illegal drugs, but medication. That was her, yeah. first, her first recommendation was, oh, have you considered like taking some sort of medication to, to help you with this? Think about it this way. I'm so freaking paranoid with my anxiety that I'm like, what if I take the medication and I become dependent worse. and I become a drug addict? <laughs> yes. 
Honestly, my paranoia has saved me a lot of times in my life. So I was like, you know what? No, I don't want to take medication. Can you just give me a, can you give me a solution that I can work on? Right. She's like, okay, one of my advice, she's like, why don't you do this? Memorize a song that is calming. Make sure it's a calming song, nothing too crazy, nothing too, memorize the song and the lyrics. Anytime you feel anxious, sing the song in your head. What song was that? This year's love. I forget. You know which one that is. Like, I don't. It's. I can bring up the uh, like the, the movie, the girl next door or something. David Gray. This year's yeah, love. David Gray. David Gray. So I heard this song in this movie called The Girl Next Door, and I really liked the song. It was just very calming. It was just. It was a really nice song. I really enjoyed it. And I was like, okay, this will be the song, song that I'm going to pick to do this. Then I would listen to the song, like anytime I felt anxious, that's what I did at first. So I can use it at that moment to calm myself down. And then I memorized it and I did that. Then I learned breathing exercises. So I went on like searched up some good like meditation. So every time before my soccer games, I would meditate for 15 minutes and calm myself down. Every night before bed, because usually like right before bed, my anxious thoughts would come. I would take a minute, do the breathing exercises. And then I would go and watch funny videos on YouTube, like family right. feud something to get me in a positive mood and get me laughing right before I went to bed. Yeah. So then I start, and, and the thing is, I never expected this stuff to cure me. I was like, this is going to be my life forever. <clears throat> so I'm like, this is going to be something that I'm going to have to do on a day-to-day -day basis to keep myself up too. Thankfully, it got to a point where I developed the right mindset, the right understanding where now I don't need to do any of that. And I don't do any of that, honestly, and I'm good. But for that period of time, I did that religiously because i needed to fix the problem i wasn't okay having that issue i wanted to mm -hmm. get rid of it that's amazing I, I love listening to people's stories and i have to tell you when i first met you and i looked through like your social media and you, you a lot of people will probably say the same thing about myself you always see where you are now and not what you've gone through to get there. And one of the biggest, hardest problems that people have, I think, is deciphering what it's like to have a, have complications in your life and overcome them to be successful. And I like hearing this for the first time because it makes you, who to me, I find that we're probably closer equal because we're both relatively successful. I happen to be 15 years older than you and I'm later at, in life in my successes. But for me, if I was 20 years ago and I was struggling and I was trying to think about how do I get out of this shell that I'm in, listening to you and your story and how you are getting to where you are is so paramount. And we're only like halfway there, but I love listening to this. You're human. And, I, and I'm gonna and I share something because I appreciate you saying that, but I'm gonna share something because I feel like people really shoot themselves in the foot when they take on a certain perspective on something. If somebody listens to my speeches and thinks that the purpose of it is to motivate them or the purpose of it for me is to give a one-liner so somebody can get a little excited, they've completely lost the point of it in my opinion. And the reason I say this, and they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're taking themselves away from a learning experience. Mm -hmm. What I'm really saying, and whenever I listen to motivational speakers, I listen to it not only to be motivated, because I think motivation is like showering. You have to do it every single day. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting motivated. There's nothing wrong with motivational speakers. There are, and, and if for me, every single day, I do certain things to keep myself motivated and stay motivated. And if somebody ever shies away from something because like, I just don't want the motivation, that's like saying I just don't want the shower so I can smell better. That's just, <laughs> yeah. No offense. That's the yeah. craziest thing that I've heard in my life. Right? I get it. Yep. But when it comes to 
here's the thing. When you're listening to someone speak about mindset and the only thing you take away from it is you feel a little excited and motivated, I think, you, I think most people will have lost the point of it. What are you listening to is this. And I'm not saying you're like this. I'm talking about the average speaker who hears this stuff, right? Yeah. The average listener who hears this. When you're listening to someone talk about mindset and motivation, what you should be tuning into is, what is this guy saying to saying that I can say to myself? You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I say, for example, it's always darkest right before dawn. That's not meant to be a motivational thing. So you think, all right, I'm going to get out of this. It's meant to be. So now you remember that phrase. So every time you're in a bad situation, instead of sitting there and being a victim of, oh my gosh, this is so bad. You say to yourself, hey, it's always darkest right before dawn. And I'm going to, and if it's this dark now, for sure, something even greater is going to come. And that will put you in a positive state of mind, not just motivation, but a positive state of mind and a positive outlook on your situation that's going to give you what you need to work your way out of. And it's not just the talk, it's the walk. So a lot of- Remember it and say it to yourself, right? Yeah. It's always darkest before the dawn is the talk. But what does that mean to you? And how do you utilize that in order to get out of a situation that you're in? Well, you're saying, okay, I'm in this really crappy situation, but it's okay because I know tomorrow it's going to be way better. And I have to get through this right now. Exactly. Because here's the thing. Most people, most people do. Oh my gosh, this situation situation is so bad. It's always going to be bad. So what's the point I'm even trying? Right. When you say to yourself, it's always darkest right before dawn. And you really take that perspective on it and that perception on it. Then you are, then you have the motivation and the reason, the why to find solutions to work yourself out of it. Yeah. There's always a light. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. There's always a a positive outcome to a bad situation. You just can't trap yourself into thinking that it's going to continue to be this way. Otherwise it will. Yeah. Like you, you get what you put out into the universe. So if you want it to be positive. Okay. So high school, clean slate. Yeah. After that, I just did my own thing. And then, so there's really not much else to share. I don't think with the high school stuff, I think it was just a very like normal experience. You coasted from there on until yeah, the end from of- grade, grade 11 and 12. I just coasted, did my thing, played Got my it. soccer and then, yeah. Okay. And then you applied to university because that's just what you do. So I, so basically what happened was I came to the conclusion that I didn't become as good as I needed to become to really make it as a professional soccer player. So then I got into this phase where I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do with my life? Okay. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And everyone around me is telling me, you should go to school. You should go to school. You should go to school. So I'm like, all right, I'm not, maybe if I go to school, I'll figure it out. Okay. That that was the mistake. So I went to Kaplan university for one year thinking that I'm going to figure it out. And the reality is you don't figure anything out sitting in a classroom and just taking information. It's just somewhere to sit to take information. Like people, for example, I took psychology. That's, yeah. That gave me no perception on what it would be like to be a psychologist. None. So I just sat there and learned information on psychology, but I had no idea still if I wanted to be a psychologist or not. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So after a year of being in university, I, looked, I was like, I wasn't enjoying my life, honestly, because I'm like, I really don't see a point to this. Yeah. I'm just, I, I don't see a point, not to life. I don't see a point to going to school. I don't see right. a point in spending so much time, energy um, on something that I don't see a long-term value in for myself. Okay. So I wasn't motivated. And when you're not motivated, you're not going to do well. So obviously I didn't do well either. 
So that, okay. So I can guarantee you there are a ton of people who get through their first year of college, first year of university and feel as though, what the F, what am I going to do with myself? Because I, I don't know what I want to do. I, I, I went to university because everybody told me I have to go to university or I have to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but at 18 years old, I thought I wanted to be this. So I went and, and Chris, I did you that. Know, and Chris, I'll show this. You know what people end up doing? They end up staying in school because that it helps them procrastinate on if you see anything from my story the one strength that i have is i have no interest in procrastinating anything i will deal with hell right now and here just so i can get hell over with yeah i have no intention of saying that like maybe i can delay hell for another three four years yeah you know let's what just get through it let's just get through hell and let's, let's just face it now and get through it because i can't keep fooling myself that oh i'm doing something positive because i guarantee you there's a lot of people that do whatever school yeah. a job whatever it is whatever it is yeah mentality, like i'll just do this until i figure it out if you don't do things to specifically figure it out you're never going to figure it out so now you're just right. delaying the inevitable like yes. so you're just delaying that you just rip the bandit and just deal with it okay so you so for me i made a decision to deal with it i'm like look i don't see a point to this i gotta find a point to what i want to do and i realized that I still don't know what I'm going to do. So this happened randomly, to be honest. One day I was at the gym, a good friend of mine, he wasn't even a good friend of mine then or anything. We we're just acquaintances. He put his headphones in my ear and it was an audiobook. I kid you not, I didn't know audiobooks existed at this point. Yeah. I was like, wait, people actually read books and you can listen to them? Why the hell am I reading books this whole time? I could probably so, go on a big tangent about institutionalized education and why I don't think it fits everyone. And it's because of audiobooks. Yes. <laughs> And here's the thing, in this audiobook, it was called The Psychology of Selling by Brian Tracy, which I think was written, written in the 80s at some point. And in the audiobook, he says at some point, like 60% of entrepreneurs that are millionaires either never went to school or dropped out. Yeah. And he says, if you read an hour a day in your chosen field, you'll be an expert in three years and a world-renowned expert in seven years. So now for the first time, somebody's telling me that I don't need to have academic success to be successful in life or in business. Mm -hmm. And academics was something that I just really disliked. Either it was because of my environment, the social stuff, whatever it was, I just wasn't into it. So now I saw a way out. And then he goes, if you read an hour a day, so now I see a way of getting the knowledge. So right then I made a decision. I'm going to drop out of university and I'm going to start reading one book a week to get the knowledge and information that I need. And this is another trait of mine that I believe has helped me a lot in my life. I make decisions very quickly and I change them very slowly. Okay. I'm the type of guy that'll go in. The, this is how I bought like my last car. I went to the Mercedes dealership. I saw the car I liked. I literally negotiated, signed the papers and walked out that same day. I have no intention. I'm wasting time thinking about something that I know I don't need to think about. You know? So what, okay. So I've heard you say that phrase before, but what about putting some thought into the decision before you make it? So are you saying go on your intuition? I think gut? very few scenarios where you really need to sit down. I think there's very few scenarios that you need to do that. I think most decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis, honestly, I think most decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis, right? We, we don't need that much time to think about it. We already know the answer. Now, here's the thing. There is some decisions. Like when I go to the dealership, in my head, I've already gone through the thought process of how much I'm going to spend, what kind of car I'm going to be looking for. I already have an idea of what I want. So when I go there and I see what I want, I don't need to go back home again and re remind myself of what You know why I don't need to do that? Because I'm going to get behind my competition when I do that. Because taking that extra time to think about something that I don't need to think about is taking away my energy, my willpower, 
and my time to think about things that I actually need to think about. You understand what I'm trying you're to say? Time. Yeah, you're wasting, wasting time. Yeah, right? you've already. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I don't want to. No, yeah, you've already got your. You've already got your decision. It's already been made. You woke up. You knew you needed a car. It's not like it was. It's not like you, at lunch came along. You're like, oh crap, I need a car. I went out to Mercedes. You already knew you needed a car. You already knew you wanted a Mercedes. You already knew what your budget was. You went and you bought it, and you were done. Yeah. And that's that's for a car. It might take a little bit more planning for something else. But what you're saying is, at least I didn't waste all that time on the car because I knew what I wanted. So now I could go invest that energy into other things. And honestly, there's an opportunity cost, right? There's always an opportunity cost. For example, real estate. Sure, you see a nice property that you like, you want to think about it for six months before putting an offer, you can, but that property is not going to be there when the time you're ready to make an offer. So honestly, I, I think this is, a, I don't, I see very few decisions in my life that I need to think too much about once I, because here's, here's what I mean. I, if I'm, if I want to buy a property, I'll do the research. I'll do the thinking. I'll know what I'm looking for and what I want before I go into it. So the minute I see something that I want or something very similar to what I want, I don't need to think too much more about it. Yeah. That's kind of my thing. And honestly, I've made decisions like this for my whole life up to this point. And based on the results that I have, I think it's very hard to argue that I wasn't right. Yeah, it seems to be working. And there's people who are really smart who make books about this and they talk about how it's successful and people who are billionaires and millionaires are all utilizing the same thought process. And those are the similarities that they have. So that's good. So this, the psychology of achievement, you said it was called? The psychology of selling by Brian Tracy. That was uh, the psychology of selling. So then if you want me to continue on that story on how I got into business. Yes. So yeah, so I started reading one book a week. I obviously... Had a lot of back and forth with my family for a long time on this decision, five, six months. But I started working on my dad's business because I thought this is a good way for me to learn how business works as I'm reading these books. I came to realize that I'm just an employee of the business. I'm not really, I'm not really learning how to run a business or build a business. Yeah. I'm just a teller at the currency exchange, essentially. Yeah. So then I was starting to think, okay, I need to find something of my own so I can challenge myself through it, get out of my comfort zone. And develop the skill sets that I need to develop to become a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. So long, long story short, one day my dad says, Hey, I'm gonna go see one of our financial advisors that's like taking care of your little sister's account or her RESP. You should come and talk to him, see if this is something you're interested in. So I go into that meeting and I don't know anything about finance. I have no background in marketing at this time. All I know about marketing or finance is the books that I might that I've read. But as he's telling me about what they do and how lucrative it is and how much success you could have. The thing that really caught my attention was the, and this is one of the ways I make decisions. I always look at the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. And if the worst isn't that bad and the best is pretty good, I'll go with it. Right. That's actually one of my key decision-making tools. So he's telling me about this. And the thing I thought about was, look, if I do this, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to learn about how money works so I can manage my money better. I'm going to learn how to sell. I'm going to learn how to manage. I'm going to learn how to lead. I'm going to learn how to network. I'm going to learn how to follow up. I'm going to learn how to influence all the skill sets that I need to learn in any business that I do. There is no startup cost to this other than my licensing. And I do this on my own time. And I'm learning from someone who's already been doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why wouldn't I do it? Right then I made a decision I'm going to do. It. So right then I registered with the organization. I, I, I paid the registration fee for it. And the guys, oh, by the way, we're going to this um, convention in Vegas in a few months where you can learn from the best people in the business. 
I've never been to Vegas. I have a credit card. So I'll <laughs> sign me up for the convention. Yay. Again, worst case scenario, I go on a fun trip and see yeah. Vegas for the first time. Best case scenario, I go there and I learn from some really great people and come back with it, something with it too. Yeah. So made that decision right away too. And honestly speaking, I don't know many people who've gone through as much hardship in a business as I did with that business. Because the way it started was, imagine I'm, I'm like 19, 20 years old starting in this thing. Already, everyone around me knows academically I'm not strong and I dropped out of university. So my credibility is like on the ground. Right. I'm calling people. I'm like, hey, you guys should come and check out my finance business. And literally, I had to wait till they stopped laughing before I could continue. So they're laughing. <laughs> and they're like, dude, what do you know about finance? You could barely pass my, like, you know, math 11. Right? Like, you know what? If you want to play soccer with us, let us know. We have no interest in whatever business you're going to be doing anytime soon. That's nice. This is right, great. Thanks. And by the way, this is my warm market. This is my like. <laughs> yeah, these are the people that you're supposed to be. These like, are my friends. Yeah. <laughs> these, are the, <laughs> these are the people that like, I'm like, oh, they're going to support me for sure. That's their response. Yeah. And obviously my family, they're not supportive, but they're also not overly supportive because they're still not happy with my decision of not going to school. So I remember I was like putting in, like the, I did, I was at that or with that organization for two years. Okay. In that two years, I'm working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, because in my head, I'm like the key to success is you just keep putting in the work Yep. and I keep putting in the work. And, I, and honestly speaking, I developed so much in many areas by doing that. Yeah. But yeah. after two years, I've made, I made about, I don't know, maybe $30,000 in two years. Wow. And I, I was and, and, and in this, and in the second year I was paying like 1500 a month for my office. Like I was broke and I was so prideful that I wouldn't want to ask my dad for money. Yeah. So although my parents, obviously I lived with them. So they supported me that way. And they supported me financially anytime I needed it. I didn't want to ask them because I felt Shame. like that's going to make me look even more like a failure. Yeah. And here's the saddest part. If you're failing, cause you're not trying, you can just be like, oh, if I try, it can become success. Imagine you're trying your very hardest and you fail. Yeah. And here's the thing, my past issues caught up with me because I'm in a social business. I'm in a networking like business. I'm, I'm in a business where I got to communicate with people. Yep. So all the lack of social skills that I developed came <laughs> to catch up with me right then. And the thing that, the reason I didn't quit was because a lot of people ask me, why wouldn't you quit? Like you're putting in so much work. You're putting in so much effort. You're not. And the reason I didn't quit was because I'm like, as long as I become better, there is no way they're not going to pay me for this. So I'm like, if I keep getting better at the skill sets, even though I'm getting such little results, if I keep pushing at this, keep getting the skill sets, I should win. Right. Long story short, I'll just, I'll tell you the whole story up to this point, And then you can ask me questions about it. I burnt out after the first two years. And I was like, you know what? Because by the way, imagine this in that two years, in my head, I'm thinking the way you become successful is by sacrificing everything. It's not true. I just thought that's how it was. Yeah. So I have no girlfriends. I have no friends. I have no life outside of my business. And my business is giving me zero results to reward me for all the sacrifice and commitment that I'm putting in. Yeah. And I keep going to these seminars and they're telling me do this. And I'm like, I'm doing it all. I'm doing, doing it better than you are. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm probably doing more than you. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, the loser. And I'm like, dude, this is crazy. And by the way, I was having success relative to the people in that particular office that I was in, but I was having no success compared to everyone else. So after that two years, I take a step back. 
And I don't give up on my big goal. My big goal since I was 19 was to make a million dollars a year by September, 2021. So I'm like, okay, it didn't work out in that business. Let me try other businesses. So I do e-commerce. I do Forex trading. I do crypto trading. I did all that. Didn't have much success in those either. Then I went to, came to the conclusion of, you know what? I keep chasing the money and the success. Let me start chasing just the mentorship and the growth for now. Because obviously that hasn't been working out. So then I think about, okay, who do I know that's making a million dollars a year at a relatively young age? And I think about, you know, my current mentor. And I knew him because when I was in that office for that two years, you hear of the names of the people in the industry who are doing really well. Mm -hmm. So I get his number from a friend. I reach out to him and I basically just tell him like, hey, I just want to come and learn from you and I'm going to do the business and dot, dot, dot. I didn't even intend to come back in the financial industry and do it for real. I just wanted to come and get around someone who's successful so I can learn by osmosis and get mentorship. Yeah. But here's what happens. I'm in it for a week and he sends out an email with a leaderboard for a contest. And I'm like, oh, interesting. These guys do contests? Like, wait, there's competition? Literally. <laughs> I'm like, wait, there's competition. So I'm like, I wonder, like I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like looking at all the names and I'm coming down the list and literally at the bottom is like my name. And it's because I just, I, it was, I, I haven't even been there for two days and I'm not even yeah. decided. Zero. And like, I get this, like this, I get triggered. I'm like, how did, in my head, this is what's happening. I'm like, how dare they put my name so, do they not know that I'm a winner? By the way, I've won nothing. <laughs> I just started. I've won nothing in my life, but in relation, right? But in my head, I'm always thinking that I'm a winner. I'm a winner. So I'm like, my identity is of somebody that's a winner. So yeah. I see that and it triggers me. So then I'm like, I'm going to go to work. So within six months, I make it all the way to the top 10, right? Within six months, I'm in the top 10 of the hierarchy. I'm like, I'm breaking records already. Fast forward after three and a half years, in the last 12 months, I've made more than $700,000 myself. Right now, I'm ranked third out of 12,000 advisors in Canada and agency owners in Canada. I'm going to be number two by the end of this month. Number one is my mentor, who's like number one also out of 50,000. And out of 50,000 in North America in the past 12 months, I'm ranked right now 13th, will be in top 10 by the end of this month as well. But that's kind of the story of like how I, I built my financial agency. I have over 100 agents that are working with me right now and learning the business from me. We've absolutely like teared it up and killed it, which is amazing. But I have much bigger goals. But And now, September 2021, we're here. So I'm pushing to hit that million now Yeah. by the end of this month. But that's like the long story short of my business life over the, since I was 20. I feel like there's so much to talk about in the last three and a half years. Cause I can guarantee you that even though the first six months were astronomical, you got into the top 10, it took you three and a half more years to By the go way, from I top 10 the, to, I got into the top 10 of an organization of 200 people. Right. Now I'm third out of 12,000 and like 13th out of 50,000. So now I'm com in the, in that organization, I'm number one by way distance got so it so it was a different organization the thing is that when i first started i was just an agent now i'm an agency owner right. so i can compare myself to other agency owners does that make got sense it. yeah yeah but before i became a top 10 agent but now you're a I'm top a, 10 agent in that agency now yes. you have your own agency. now i have my own agency and your own agency i'm the third biggest agency out of twelve thousand in canada you know 13th out of fifty thousand in north america Got it. So even though the number is a three, it's still, it's, it's not, yeah. It's not even it's comparable big. to that six. Yeah, yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah.
It's a big deal. And so by finally, the way, the reason that... I had the result that I had in the first six months is because yeah. of the hell that I went through in the first two years. In that right. other organization. In the other organization. All that shit. Because I took all that to... skill set yeah. and all that mindset and I just put it into a better system, better leadership, better environment. And you absolutely destroyed it. <laughs> just and, and, and I'll give a word of advice for everyone. Here's the thing that I always say. If you always work on becoming a better version of yourself, you'll never lose. Yeah. See, what I did was I built myself in that first two years, even though I was in the wrong environment, even though yeah. I was in the wrong leadership, I still built myself. So once opportunity came, I was ready to take it. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes that I see other young people make and my friends make is they say, I'm waiting for the right opportunity. Oh God. You can wait all you want and the opportunity will come. You just won't be able to take it when it comes because you're not the yeah. person. To take it. It's like, you won't be ready. It's like the soccer player who says, I'll play good when the scout comes. How are you going to play good if you've never practiced? Yeah. If you're not any good now. So for me, I always <laughs> thought about, it. I'm like, I just got to keep getting better and better and better and better. And if I do that long enough, then once I get to the right opportunity, the right, the right place, I'll be ready to take it. And thankfully that worked out. And that worked out. So you said, so you said a few different things. So the mentor that you have now is the same mentor that you had in the beginning when you first yeah, signed so up. Three and a half years ago, March, 2018 is when I started to officially work with him. Okay. And he's the same mentor you have today. Yes. Okay. You also said that your goal at 19 was by September, 2021, you wanted to generate a million dollars in revenue. No, not generate a million dollars a year. Make a million dollars a year in net income for myself. Personal net income Personal. of a million dollars. And you've hit that goal by September, which means you still have th three more months. Well, we're in September 2021 right now. Yeah. So I'm at right now around 700,000. So my goal this month is to make 100,000. I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I have that goal. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to push for it because why not? What am I going to lose from giving it everything I got? And even if I, I hit it, yeah. and look, even if I hit it in October, I'm not going to jump off a cliff. I'll be fine waiting an extra month to hit my goal, but I'm going to fight to make it happen when I set my time to make it up. Good for you. So I think that's a great goal that you had. So let's say you get there, September, October. You're going to get there. Yeah. So do you want to know why? I want to know what your next goal is. I'll tell you what, why I even set this goal initially. That will okay. help. Yeah, we can go back to 19. Why did you set 1 million as a, as a personal income? So I read a book called Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon. Okay. And he talks about writing your goals. He talks about all that. So I took a moment there and I thought about what kind of lifestyle, see the quality of your life. Again, people think that I'm saying these things are not motivation. This is like instruction in my opinion. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of questions you ask yourself. So growing up, they tell us, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think that's a crappy question. Me too. It's always I'm police like, officer, fireman, doctor. How's a, kid, how's a kid supposed to ask that who doesn't know anything? But here's a question I asked myself when I was 19. I said, what kind of lifestyle do I want to live? Yeah. What kind of house? What kind of car? What kind of friends? And everyone is going to come up with a different answer with that because everyone believes an ideal life looks like something different, which is yeah. fair. Yeah. So for me, based on the lifestyle that I imagined for myself, the price tag to live that lifestyle was about 80, 85,000. Between 70 to 85,000. So that's the first reason I said it. Then my next thing was, why do I care to have this level of success? especially by 27. So because of my background and where I came from and feeling that I'm always like the black sheep who people looked at as maybe the kid who's not going to make it kind of thing. 
I wanted to reach my, my big inspiration was I wanted to reach my full potential. And in the process of doing that, it's going to give me the room to inspire other people to do the same thing. Yeah. See, as a 20, as a 26 year old making $700,000 is a impressive enough thing where most people will listen to my story to see what I did. So maybe they can do it. But if I had only made maybe, let's say a hundred thousand, it's not bad. Maybe it's not a big enough podium for people to listen to. Yeah. So I thought the million dollars is a nice number. It has a nice ring to it because that will give me the podium and stage that I need to speak what I've done so I can inspire other people to do it as well. So it validates you. You feel as though the million dollar mark is what validates you, your success, your thought exactly. process. Because I don't want to listen to someone who doesn't have results. And so people I will listen to me. Because anybody so else at 27 who is thinking that they want to be successful or any 35 year old that might be listening or 40 year old, they're going to want to make a million dollars a year. Yeah. It's pretty impressive where you're like, I wonder how they did it. Like, why do we look up to athletes? Because they do impressive things. And we're like, we want to learn how they did it. We want to be like, so I felt like that would also give me the stage that I needed to speak to people on it. Because again, people want to learn from people who have the results. You really want to help people get there. Yeah, because honestly speaking, because I grew up in a family where my dad did well financially, like material things never inspired me that much. Right. Because I was, I was never the kid that was like, I wish I could have. I was never spoiled at all, like not even close. <laughs> and you know what? I'm grateful for not being spoiled because it forced me to, you know, become stronger and better myself. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that I was never someone who was like, oh, if only I had more money, I could maybe like stop. Because money was not something that was that was like far reaching for me. And I saw and and I lived a good lifestyle. My dad built a lifestyle for us where we were comfortable. We could go to any school we wanted to go to. We could have any like you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So I was never inspired by money. Even to this day, I'm not like a lavish spender. Like you don't see me like posting my Gucci shirt. I, I agree hundred percent. I actually had to go look. For your Gucci shoes, because I can see you dress. It's not, you don't hide that, but you're not flashy, which is also almost not Persian of you because most Persian <laughs> people like to just show how much money, even though you're not supposed to be flashy, you're not, you're well-dressed. And man, to be well honest, but the that's only reason, and the only reason I would ever show the money I have is so that people listen to me. So they believe yeah. you, right? Yeah. Not so they listen. So they believe, you. they believe Like today I was like, oh, should I wear my Rolex? And I'm like, ah, who cares? I'll just wear my Apple watch. But the only reason I was like, oh, I should wear my Rolex was because, oh, like maybe somebody watching, unless they see the kind of like the material stuff of it. But then again, that's so dumb because like nowadays you can just borrow money. Your dad can buy you something. So I don't even know if you can buy that's a fake that. Rolex. Because honestly, some of my, some of the people that I know who like are all Gucci, all Louis Vuitton, they don't make a dollar. I honestly, when I see people flashy with money, the first thing I think of is they live in debt. Or they live in a family where somebody else gave them that. Someone because else paid for also it. Also, when you make your own money, you're harder to spend it because you know how hard you have to work for it to make it. Yeah, or you're spending it on things that are more practical and not, well, some people think fashion is practical. I don't, but yeah, so I, I totally get what you're saying. So for so me, I don't, I don't think money motivation is a bad thing, but it's never been my primal motivation. Of course, sometimes I was like, oh, I wish I want to make this much money so I can have this. But it's never been my like. So your goal wasn't to reach a million dollars a year in personal income so that you could have a million dollars a year. It was so that you could be validated and so that people will listen to you because what you have to say is important and helpful. And yes. Because, right? Yes. <laughs> so. Because, because here's the thing. like I said, as a kid, I felt like with, if I, if, if it wasn't for that audiobook and Brian Tracy, I wouldn't be here. Too. So one audiobook 
changed, changed my whole your life. life. Yeah, that was because up to that point, the only narrative I had was you have to go to school, you have to get good grades, or you're fake. Yeah. So I was like, I want to be that narrative for some other kid who's struggling like I was struggling. Yep. I agree with you. And I'll share a quick quote by Jim Rohn. He's passed away now, but Jim Rohn is the mentor of Tony Robbins. Yeah. And he said, set a goal to be a millionaire, not for the million dollars. Set a goal to be a millionaire for the person you become in the process of making a million dollars. Because the trials, the pain, the struggle, the failures, getting out of your comfort zone that you have to go through to get to that level of success is going to make something of you. And that was one of my biggest inspiration to setting that goal. Now, initially, you, you had that goal, but you also knew that you had a life calculator in your head. You said, I have a life that I want to have in eight years from now or nine, eight years from now. I have a life that I want. It's going to cost me this equals this. And I don't want to make the million dollars the center point of my ambition. I want it to be my own personal growth and success on getting there to be the reason why I'm getting to a million dollars. And then it all just comes around full circle. And here you are at 27, knocking on million dollar door and you're helping other people grow, live, be successful. And you pride yourself on helping other people get to the where you are because that's probably more important than the million dollars itself. It hundred percent is. Because money comes and goes. Opportunities come and go. So would your next, so would it be fair to say that even though you may have a personal goal of $2 million next year or, or in three years from now, would it be also fair to say that maybe one of your goals is to mentor somebody to a million dollars? I'm already doing that, honestly. Like a big part of Good. my business, because maybe I, so I help people in two different ways with my business. The mm-hmm. first is teaching people about important financial topics. And that's how you and I connected. Correct. Teaching people about investments, insurances, tax strategies, financial planning, things to do that. Yes. And I think that's a huge part of our peace of mind and relieving our stress and so many other things. Yep. The other big part of my business is mentoring other people who want to be successful in the financial industry and teaching them how they can do what I did. And I get so much pleasure out of that. that that's, I, I, that's my main passion. And that's what we have, because I love helping people through the things that I went through. I love seeing them achieve things. I love seeing them win. That's my, that's that, that thing gets me up out of my bed every single day, like nothing else. I like that. That's a good answer. So you spend most of your days focused on motivating others and mentoring others so that they can also be successful and set goals and motivating, guiding, helping all that. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So I guess that would answer my next question of what inspires you. So on a personal level, what inspires you? Not on a career level, but what inspires you on a daily basis or on a life basis that like honestly i'm going to use the word motivation because i think it's the same thing basically it's just yeah. inspiration is just a nicer word to use but motivation, <laughs> what motivates me? what motivates you honestly speaking i think if anyone ever says this one thing motivates me they're either lying or they're lacking awareness because every single day you wake up there is something, there's something different that motivates you for that day sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I believe every human being has different buttons. Sometimes the motivation might be making more money, winning a competition, proving someone wrong, proving someone, helping people, wanting to reach your potential and having personal. There's all these different buttons. Every person though, 
has maybe two or three buttons that are much more prominent than the other ones. Like the emergency was like use in case of emergency. Da, da, da. Like for me, competitiveness, that's one of my emergency ones. If I'm feeling not motivated, like I just need to go check the leaderboards. I just need to go. And that's the button. So for me, honestly speaking, every single day, as long as I'm motivated and inspired to grow, to challenge myself and to make it the best day possible, I'm good. I could be on vacation. You can go on a vacation and still be motivated to make the best day possible. Getting the most out of it. I was just thinking it's right now for you, it's 1.46 PM. And I can tell you that this podcast has made your day. You are, you could just take the rest of the day off. You've already been motivated and had a successful day. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, to be honest with you, I was already motivated before I came on this podcast. That's why I'm giving the energy that I'm giving. Thank you. I appreciate that energy. It's been good. I only had one other kind of question that I think would probably just flow off to the tail end of this. It, it coincides with the whole reason why we connected, the importance that I believe why our relationship, not just in the reason why we met, but also probably the reason why we will forever stay in contact and know each other. And that's because of your incredible ability to relay in layman's terms financial education, financial literacy, and helping people understand the day-to-day -day finances and what it means to you as a person, what it means to your family, what it means to goals. And so I just, maybe if you could briefly tell me what you think financial literacy or education means to you. That's a really good question. So with financial literacy, are you referring to why I think it's important? Yeah. So it, it actually stemmed from a question I was going to ask you, but I felt like it was too loaded and it was going to go on for too long. So instead of having the question, I'm just going to make a statement and then I'll give you some context. I believe the educational system fails students at the secondary level because we don't teach our children financial literacy. We don't teach them the basics of math and finances and debt and credit. We just don't, we don't do anything until you fail with three credit cards in college and you have to figure out how to pay it all back. That's when you learn about your credit rating. To be so, honest with you, Chris, yeah. honestly, I think school fails to teach people a lot of the fundamentals we, we want to learn. Totally. For me, what my passion is, is not only just teaching people about finance, teaching people how to set goals in their life. Yeah. Teaching people how to plan their life, teaching people how to, how to go after, what, how to motivate themselves, how to take care of their mental health. I think there's certain fundamentals that every human being should pay attention to and learn in Western civilization, the way we live today, etc. One of them is obviously financial literacy, because we all make money in one way or another, and we all deal with money in one way or another. So learning how to manage that money more effectively, I think is crucial because there's so many stats that show marriages get ruined because of bad finances, because, you know, mental health is caused because of bad finances. There's so many avenues, right? Mm -hmm. Another area, in addition to financial literacy, I think is personal health. You don't need to become a personal trainer. You don't need to become an expert in everything, but take some time to learn how to become a healthier person. So you can live longer and live with more energy and vitality. It's not just about living longer. It's about living good. It's about waking up and not yeah. and feeling. Exactly. Yeah. The third thing is learning about mental health, learning about what stresses you, what makes you anxious, what, and how to control your emotions in an effective way and manage your emotions in an effective way. So you can live the life that you want to live. 
So you money. can build the relationships that you want to build. Yeah. And, and the fourth thing I would say is learning to communicate with other human beings. Mm. Learning to build positive relationships, learning to um, resolve conflict, learning to deal with different personalities in the right way. These four fundamental things, I think, should be should one of my goals, honestly, and I haven't really planned it out, so it's hard for me to verbalize it, is to build a school where these four fundamentals are taught. Yeah. Whether that's whether that's a primary thing or whether that's like on the side of your education, but these are four fundamentals that I think if every human being learns from a young age, we'll just have such a better quality of life compared to what it is right now. I agree. So financial literacy is important. Personal health, physical health is important. Mental health is important and communication skills amongst and relationships. In relationships are your four fundamentals that you believe 100%. that if everybody focused on those four core components, you'd be a rock star and you'll be healthy. You'll be 100%. mindful and successful. I'd have a hard time seeing someone argue with me on that. Yeah. I don't think anybody would. So, I think the answer to financial literacy or, or, or what it means to you, I, I agree in your statement that there, the answer is probably a lot more diverse and that there's probably four components to a person's life that's really important, not just financial literacy. That is one part. My main reason for focusing on that, obviously, is because of what you do for a career, what you are going to do for me and what you do for other thousands of people and help them set goals, help them plan for the goals and help them succeed with those goals. I'm definitely hundred percent going to make sure that all of your contact information is available. So I know you're a big fan of Instagram. Yeah. I think uh, Instagram is the best place to reach me. Yeah. Just because it's, I can see who's contacting me and they can see who I am and it's just an easier way to communicate. So I love Instagram for that reason. So you, so where can I find you on Instagram? What's your handle? Nima double underscore Atar. So N I M A double underscore a-T-A-R. Perfect. So we'll share that. Is there any other books in the top of your head, two or three books that you can think of that no brainer in, in life, you just have to read this book. I think there's three books I would recommend everyone read and reread. And even I'll say it in this, read it in this order. What to say when you talk to yourself is one. Okay. The second one is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. The third is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Power of Now. By Eckhart Tolle. And I'll share with you why those three um, are my main books. So first, what to say when you talk to yourself teaches you how you can control your programming and how you can control change in your life. And it's written by a PhD, I believe in neuroscience. So the guy really knows what he's talking about. The second book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon, shows you how you can create, how you can envision something and make it come to life. And the third book teaches you how to be in the present moment so you can actually make that thing happen. Teaches you how to come to presence, teaches you awareness, teaches you spirituality, so you can actually learn to be in the moment and make the thing you want to happen actually happen. I'll try and find a fun way to put a little competition on this and then uh, we'll loop Nima in to see who, who wins. Sounds wonderful. That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me on Chris. That's, that was awesome.
Yeah, no problem whatsoever. I've enjoyed so much having you on this. I've learned so much more. I know we've talked personally and professionally over the last six months. Never did I ever think I would get this much information out of you. And boy, am I happy I did. I think people are going to learn a lot. They're going to be motivated. They're going to be inspired. But more importantly, I hope that they live with the information that you've been able to provide today to make their lives better. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Chris. That means a lot. Thanks, buddy. Have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye.